putting more effort and making all the cool apps on Android to kind of bring people over to bring people oh, over to that platform. Yeah, oh, go get That's that. We'll wait. I mean, after you get that, you guys go ahead. I hope it's a pizza. I hope it's pizza. Yeah, because I, I, like I want pizza right now. Pizza's it's one thing good. you can't get at the cottage is pizza. Well, you, I, you can't get pizza at the cottage. We can get pizza at our cottage. Oh, gee whiz. Look at who's so fancy now. Yeah. Yeah, no, we'd, yeah. we'd be hard-pressed to get pizza here. Mm. Uh, we're having really good food anyway, just not pizza. Not Hey everybody, welcome to episode 100 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Aaron Bay in... Um, Huntsville, Ontario. That's Huntsville, where I am. Ontario. Hi everybody. And we also have Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And joining us in San Francisco, California is Greg Hio. What's going on, everyone? All right. Sorry, sorry, Aaron, where did you say your cottage was? Near Huntsville. Huntsville. Oh, okay. That's, it's, it's a rental. Yeah, I realize that. But is it, which way do you go to get to Huntsville? Was it up Berry Way or? Past Berry. Berry's about the halfway point. From oh, so, it, so it's it's basically what we call Muskoka's, right? It's exactly what you would call Muskoka's. Oh, right. Is right. it on the shores of a lake? It is. Oh, nice. Peninsula Lake. Oh, even. Ooh. I don't really know what that means, but like well, a lake is shaped like a peninsula? No, I don't know why oh. they call it that. Okay. <laughs> oh, the name of the lake is Peninsula Lake. Okay. Yes. Yes. Right. Oh, okay. I get it. It's like Lake Archipelago. Got right. It. Got exactly. Right. <laughs> Lake, lake stupid name in your face lake, what's up lake arbitrary name yes where our I, cottage is over in the kawarthas which is just to the left of you or to I the right of you i guess familiar so. with the kawarthas what was it being the home of the kawartha dairy the finest ice cream of, mm -hmm. on this planet i just Ooh. looked up huntsville this is not where i thought huntsville was although i'm trying to think where i thought it was and i have no idea well you know okay <laughs> hmm. yeah i just that hope we're not looking Alabama. that is that where they yeah. have that ketchup plant? The one that they got all angry when they stopped making uh, French's ketchup or something like that? Or that was mustard? But isn't No, that it was ketchup. They... You're right. And I don't know if it was here. Or is brand called Hunt's Ketchup, and that's why I'm thinking of it? Yes, oh, really? I'm, I'm oh, thinking that's forget. what it is. Yeah. All right, never mind. I just typed in, Hunts I got just typed in Huntsville, and I got Huntsville, Alabama, just like home, I guess. Yeah, do not do that. That's yeah, not right. I, I put the, uh, I put the oh, con O-N, because I knew there would be several. Yeah. Oh, and then there's all these O-N things in Huntsville now. Thanks, Apple. You're welcome, Tim. For nothing, Apple. Are we going to have That's... Mark tonight? No Mark tonight. Greg yeah. is Mark. Greg is Dr. Dr. Greg Hio has joined us tonight. Yeah. From San Jose, California. Yes. yes. He can call himself an engineer now. As well as well just give him the title <laughs> doctor, too, right? Yeah, Why might not? as well. I'll take all the titles. <laughs> yeah, where are you living now, Greg? I'm in San Francisco. Fantastic. Yep. And is it crazy nuts expensive and, and crazy nuts everything else? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Yes to the expensive part. Everything else, I don't know so much about that. But All right. uh, yeah. Go to work, you come Ooh. home. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, I'm glad to hear it. There we go. Mm -hmm. All right. So, the 100 episode. Uh, what, what's up with that? I don't know. Well, I, so I, I was telling Greg the other day when he sort of asked me about if we're going to make a fuss over it, I sort of said, well, Aaron will probably just say it's just another number. Well, you know, it is, and I think it's noteworthy that no, there is not one of us who has done 100 episodes, right? Uh, true. True. You know, some of us are close. Oh, but... I was going to say Tim. Oh, no. but that's No, true. no, Tim has no, missed. No, that's true. That's true. I've missed, missed a, a couple. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't want to do the research, but um, I got to think Tim's <laughs> been on more than any of us. But uh, yeah, you know, yeah. and I'm sure I'm like second place. But I would say I've missed maybe four to five, maybe in the last two years, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Tim maybe two. Who knows? But it's not a hundred. Um, you know what this reminds me of, though? I uh, don't know if you guys ever listened to the Hypercritical podcast with John Syracuse. Oh, of course. Of course. It's the, uh, exactly. Actually, but, yeah. It's madness because this is one of the finest podcasts that has ever it been. Is. And uh, we are you know, enlightened by the fact that this podcast is still available. Anybody can still go and download it. It's, uh, you know, find the link, you know, use the Google stuff. Anyway, uh, that episode or sorry, episode, <laughs> that series hit 100 episodes. It went to episode 100. And even yeah. though John Syracuse missed, I think, two of those episodes over its two-year run, he decided to end it at 100, the nice big round number, because wow. he felt he'd said everything he had come there to say, and wow. that it was the end of the line, and he would be doing that podcast no longer. Well, that's it, folks. Good night. See you later. And people complained because, hey, you know, we only got 98 episodes of John Syracuse, 100 episodes in the can, and hypercritical is history there's a lovely t-shirt you cannot buy it but i still own it and uh it's one of my favorite t-shirts hmm. <laughs> and then john syracuse went on to do accidents like podcast and the rest is history and there were well over 100 episodes on that one i think mm-hmm. so 100 doesn't stop anyone it won't stop us no and and yeah if you really get technical with it we there were a couple of incidents that we won't talk about oh that, yeah uh, those two i forgot the about lost that episode that's true the two I, lost there's episodes. two lost episodes hmm. yeah. Yeah. but and were they, they still numbered in sequence yes they yeah. Were. Ah, so they yeah and we do we do have material there we'll save them for the you know the uh 20th anniversary dvd set right so Ooh, can we <laughs> remastered just like the star wars <laughs> special editions with yeah, sound exactly. effects going off in the background and other things we really wished we had the budget to do but couldn't afford yeah, I'll have to re-render all the audio effects and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, I can see you getting right on top of that, Tim. Sure, sure. Actually, no, I couldn't. Okay. Well, I think otherwise we should just have a regular show. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, let's just keep doing what we do. Otherwise, you know, why why would anybody listen to us anyway? If not well, for what we always do. one Ask MTJC question that kind of relates to... Ah, uh, Okay. Okay, Jesse, let's get it over with. We also have time, too, because you could do the nice round number. You could also say, you know, if you include the lost episodes, you would have 104, which would be double of 52, which is notionally, and I know we haven't done one every week, uh, you know, with like holiday breaks or something, but that would be double of the 52 episode yearly season. That's great, Gray. Yeah, I'm lost. So we got a month. So we're we're putting 100 in the can. We have a month to say extravaganza. Everybody, you know, free T-shirt to the person who like, you know, takes a selfie with Obama or something. Hey, ask MTJC Jesse Caterwall, one of our oldest listeners, and uh, you know, if we're gonna do a hundredth episode, I think we should definitely give him props because this guy's been with us since the very earliest days. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's written in to Ask MTJC with a question about our 100th episode. He'd like to hear about the evolution of, one, how the show has gotten made, and two, what the show has represented to us, the hosts. Mm. Mm. Before we answer mm. that, is everybody recording? You better well, be. Mark's not on the show, so yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's answer, let's answer that question. Tim, do you, uh, do you want to talk about how the show has gotten made? Because that's really your bailiwick. Yeah, I mean, so so um, one of the things that I've always sort of tried to do is is I find over my life is connect people together, right? And um, 
Oh, so I'm getting all kinda, teary here. Uh-huh. It's beautiful. Keep going, Tim. Thanks. Yeah, I'm going to get well, a Kleenex. So, I mean, and as we were just talking about this on, we were talking about this, we didn't talk about this specifically on Roundabout. We had Charles Perry on, and so the three of us were talking about uh, various things, and podcasts came up quite often. But um, we were talking about the community behind uh, iOS and uh, how it works and stuff like that. And I remember the feeling of going to a conference in seattle um in 2010 and and realizing oh hey there were like you know 150 200 people who were doing the same thing that i was doing and and one of the one of my friends there from who works at intel said you should go to wwdc so i applied to go to wwdc and that was the first year i went 2010 and there was like five thousand people doing what i do right and it was all of a sudden it was like you know it felt like one of the the munchkins in the filming of the wizard of oz you know they hadn't seen any other short people before right so it was kind of an exciting thing. And then so I started going to conferences, uh, partly, mostly to communicate with or to connect with other people, but also to, you know, to learn about our craft, as we like to call it, right? Um, learn tips, tips and tricks and things like that from other, other like-minded individuals. And that's where I met Jaime Lopez at, uh, I think it was probably 360 iDev four years ago, something like that. It was just a, said, a few years. Uh, I think it was 2014, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, and, and and how that happened was we were actually using Glassboard. If you remember Glassboard, which I had just learned about at WWDC that year, and um, we just it was the first night, and everybody had just arrived at the hotel, and somebody said, "Hey, let's go out for tacos." And of course, Jaime was in there like a you know white on rice, and um, so that's how I met Jaime. And Jonathan Penn came out with us, and uh, Adam Longfellow, friend of ours, and the listeners of the show. But came out and the four of us went out for tacos and that's how we kind of met. And I spoke to Jaime a few times and, and thought, hey, this guy kind of knows what he's talking about in terms of where this business is going, right? And as you know, I've said many times before, Mark and I had worked you know, together since around 2010, 2011. And I met Aaron at, three, at uh, Taco. Um, and I was looking for a developer and I kind of contacted him. And then the genesis of this this is, is that Mark and I would always work together and we would always start chatting and uh, we'd end up talking about the business and, you know, customers and, you know, and predicates and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? And, um, you know, we always talked about writing a book and, and sort of getting our ideas down. And uh, I was, and Aaron, as well as myself, were uh, individually on Ash Furrow's podcast because he started doing a podcast uh, back in the early days i thought hey i could do this and so i, I contacted uh, mark and he said sure i'm in and i contacted jaime and he said sure i'm in and i contacted aaron and that's kind of how we started you know our first uh, episode is it's called the untitled podcasts and we had no idea where we were going with this and um, i really wasn't you know I, other than you know audio production um, i didn't know much about podcasts other than we were going to talk about things that we thought would be interesting to other developers and uh aaron kind of brought in the idea of the picks and and uh <laughs> trying to keep us a bit organized right so that's sort of how 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 it started and well tim sec- sorry yeah. but like that doesn't answer the question at all no i know so, so <laughs> he's asking so, about how the show has gotten made and the evolution of it and, uh, not I was how just it got started everybody's I was just, that. and i was just getting to that so okay. so yeah so how how it actually gets this is actually made, really appropriate <laughs> how, how it actually gets made is that that you know i studied you know audio production back in the day and uh as well as as sort of a minor in in my my art education and so working with tape, and I actually worked with tape and tape reels and, you know, cut splicing tape together and stuff like that. So um, putting together, putting on a show, as it were, uh, was not something that was out of my, you know, uh, my bailiwick, right? 
Um, so the production side kind of sort of fell to me, right? Um, and that's kind of how, so basically what, what, you know, right from the get-go, I just sort of said we would each record individually. So I'd have four tracks to work with and uh, they'd be clean and we do a audio check to sync them up. And, um, and basically we meet once a week We're usually it's used to be haphazard at the beginning, but now we meet every Wednesday at 9 PM, which is sort of accommodates the West coast and the East coast to a certain extent. Um, and we put together a, a list of topics on during over the week and, and we talk about them sort of ad hoc as we go, right? One of us will sort of introduce a topic and the other three will comment on it. And, um, that's kind of how the show gets made. If that's, you really want to know what the, what, what's behind the curtain, right? But what it's represented, represented to me, it's a lot of work for me because it requires probably after recording the show, I probably spend about two days working on it afterwards. Like, you know, um, a lot of time um, and I always put some, some effort into the, into the image that goes along with it. And then there's the rebranding and the marketing and we have to, in order to get the show to where it is, I think a lot of, a lot of our action on social network or social networks, particularly Twitter, because that seems to be where the iOS crowd hangs out. Right. Um, or developer crowd, I guess. Um, and, uh, yeah, so just retweeting and, and, um, seeing what works as far as those kind of tweets go. And then, you know, appearing on other shows and writing books and things like that, I think also helps too, right? Tim, do you want to talk about what the show has meant to you in order to inspire you to do all of that work? Um, yeah, I mean, well, initially it was for me, it was, I was running a, a independent business at the time. So it was kind of a way to sort of get, uh, known. I mean, I've been writing uh, tech articles since 2000 or so. And, uh, a lot of that was to sort of get my name out. I, I felt when I was working for the man, you know, I was sort of the best kept secret of the company and, and, you know, the only way to get out there and to get some reputation, I guess, or some credibility was to write blog posts and write tech articles. And so I wrote in magazines, I wrote podcasts, uh, blog posts. And so, um, for me, uh, for me, I like to share information. I like to empower other people. That's kind of sort of what I do in, in, in what I, what I like, how I like to, to spread my knowledge and share my knowledge. And this format allows me to um, drag you guys along kicking and screaming to to explain stuff to people who may or may not know everything, as Aaron likes to say. Um, I mean, he always sort of says, everybody knows this, but in fact, they don't, right? Because obviously, a lot of times, I don't. But um, so it's been a, a good way to sort of build a community, um, to get some, some uh, to pass on our knowledge and, and impart our knowledge on other people as well, right? So that's what it, uh, so for me, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's nice when you run into people and say that they listen to the show. So I had an opportunity yesterday. I was at Taco in Toronto and I brought <laughs> a couple of our, couple of our t-shirts with us and, uh, you know, and I sort of said to the crowd like, Hey, just listen to the show. And, you know, probably about four or five people in the room put their hand up and I, th I think people knew about the show, but a few are regular listeners. And, uh, so I got to meet them face to face and a couple of selfies were taken and that kind of stuff. So. It's nice to, to sort of get some uh, some credibility from that. Yeah. Well, I think it means uh, similar things to me. Like, obviously, I don't put as much work into it as Tim does. But for myself, it is and always has been a kind of a way to give myself a, a mouthpiece, I guess, to put my opinions and feelings about technology out there. Uh, where I would otherwise not have a chance to express it. I would do it on Twitter and occasionally my blog, but uh, as I've observed from other podcasters who also write, that writing production goes down when you have a podcast because it's such a, and to my mind anyway, <laughs> as the guy not producing the podcast, 
it is an effortless way to get your thinking out there and it's a great format for people to consume. And so it is relatively easy to build a following as we've done. Um, and I don't want to stress that it's been easy because once again, Tim has done almost all the work. Uh, having said that, uh, this has been a wonderful opportunity for me to, you know, uh, to be opinionated and have a personality in the world. And I'll say this, uh, one of the themes that we've talked about on this show over the last couple of years is about sticking with something, no matter what, to become successful. And for all the talk that we've had about that, that is one thing that I have never truly observed in myself. I have not been able to stick to anything solidly. You know, even in the history of this show, when I've, you've, you've, if you've been listening to me, you know that I uh, conceptualized, developed, and then started selling an app for Mac iOS and Apple TV called Magpie. And then you just stopped hearing about it. And the reason is that I lost interest in it. And I never continued to promote it. And I never continued to, to develop it because it, it was doing what I wanted to. Um, but if I was treating it truly as a business, as a thing that I wanted to be successful, I should have continued to drive it. And I ne never did. But on the other hand, you look at this podcast, and it has been going solid. You know, two years may sound like a long time, but it really is just the beginning. If we can continue to do this, then I don't see why we could not be, you know, in the league of, of much larger stars, you know, with, with great heaven stretching above us yet, uh, but still uh, becoming more known over time. And to, that lesson uh, is incredibly valuable to me. And that's what I think about as we hit this 100th episode, even though I am not a huge fan of numbers, Tim. There it is. What do you think, uh, Jaime? Yeah, for me, it's funny that, that Aaron mentioned the, you know, being a somewhat less prolific with writing uh, blogs when you have a podcast. And that's actually kind of where it came down to me, where I was looking for this way to, you know, have this outlet of self-expression. And for a while, that actually was my blog. And uh, I was much more regular about posting things there than I am now, because that same function has been largely taken over by the podcast where I do have an opportunity to sort of speak my mind on whatever happens to be coming up or something that is like been on my mind for a while. And that's been great. And I've loved that. And hopefully I've been able to, you know, help others sort of take a different perspective on things or maybe even learn a thing or two. Um, the other great underrated thing uh, that I think I mentioned off the air uh, last week to some folks was the fact that uh, unlike blog writing, it's really hard to find stuff that I've specifically said. So I can kind of like backpedal for things gracefully, uh, as I tend to overshoot sometimes, you know, there's <laughs> about, uh, you know, clearly over a hundred hours of, of me saying whatever it is that I say every week and good luck finding me saying something in particular. But if you look at my blog, you know, you're a Google search away from finding that. So I, I facetiously say that it, it for, for what it has represented for me has been a, you know, a nice bit of freedom of expression and in some respects, an opportunity to, you know, make some additional friends in this field, right? So obviously everybody that's here on the show and the other hosts that have been on there and folks who have been fans and reached out on Twitter or if we've met in, in person, it's been great. So I've, I've definitely liked it. So what does Mr. Podcast Greg Hill have to say about that? Greg's like, oh, this is just another podcast. God, there's so many. Which one's this again? <laughs> oh, right. More than just code. I've got to look at the names. <laughs> well, I originally started listening way back episode one because 
I was like, well, I know Tim and I know Aaron and who are these two other guys? But I guess I'll listen. And it was originally just a way to keep up with you guys, see you guys, your, see what you guys, see what you guys were up to and things like that. And I was a listener. I subscribed every week. I listened to a ton of audio and podcasts. I still try to do that. Not so much these days, but um, back then when I was working from home, from home, I did listen to a lot of podcasts. And so the show for me was cool because I knew some of the people on it. And that was the initial draw for me. And then one day I looked it up, it was episode 29, and Tim said, I think somebody can't make it, do you want to come fill in? And he, I think he'd asked me once before and I couldn't make it. And I said, sure, I'll come on. And then someone told me afterwards, oh, you didn't talk enough, you know, you just, uh, the other guys just talked and I forgot you were there. And I thought, oh, well, I had no notice, so I don't know what this podcasting thing is all about, because I wasn't really sure what to do. And then I think the next time I got a little bit more notice, and I was super prepared and read everything in the notes and read all the articles so that I would have something to say. And I do tend to be a bit of an over-preparer just kind of in my everyday life. So I guess to me, it would, it's similar thoughts. It's nice to be able to have a platform to say what you want to say. It is much easier. Again, I also don't do any of the editing work, but it's also it's much easier to say something into a microphone than it is to sit down and write something. And as Jaime also said, you there's a little bit more of a sense of permanence when you write something on your blog, although someday I think I'm going to run all of these episodes through some kind of speech recognition and make a uh, kind of like ASCII WWDC, make an ASCII MTJC. Maybe I'll register yeah. the domain right now. And <laughs> I feel like, yeah, audio is going to be somehow indexed someday in the future. But it is easier to talk and especially since we have other people on the call, it's not just me talking and getting things completely wrong. If I start talking, then Aaron or Jaime or somebody can jump in and correct me and offer counter arguments and whatnot kind of live right there, which is kind of nice. So I like the show for all the same reasons that you guys do. And it means kind of the same thing it does. I have not had anyone come up to me and say, hey, but you know, I'm not like a official official host. So no one has done that. But I like seeing the tweets and the comments and the feedback and things like that. And we did get some interesting feedback last week on the post. Somebody commented how last week without Tim and Aaron, the, the show felt more like just the code rather than more than just code. And so I like to think for me personally, I, I like those little technical nerdy moments. And that's also something that I like is to get to bounce those kind of nerdy technical things off of you guys and maybe off of Mark especially. But that's really uh, what I like about the show as well. So do you guys find that um, the show occupies your thoughts during the week? Like for me, a lot of times when I'm watching Slack or looking on Twitter, you know, I'll, I'll see something that's of interest and um, and I'll, you know, paste it into the notes. Like I'll be, I'll be, I do it on the streetcar. I do it like, you know, at work sometimes. Uh, it's a little harder to do now that I'm fully occupied at work. But um, do you guys find that you're thinking about the show during the week when you see things happen or... Well, for me, I, I've had so many different uh, periods of my life while I've been doing this podcast that the, the hard part uh, is that, you know, there are times when I'm less occupied than other times. Um, and like lately, for example, it's just been so crazy in my life lately that I haven't really had the chance to think too much about the show during the week. And so when the show comes up, um, it's usually the evening of recording that I'm kind of scrambling for my pick and for, you know, looking at the notes to think about what happens in the show. I feel bad about that because, you know, I know the show can work out anyway because, the, you know, it's not just me. Um, but 
um, I, I do want to give the show more of my time when I see that. How about you, Jaime? Yeah, so I'm usually, um, you know, reading things on Twitter, on different RSS feeds, blogs, listening to other podcasts, uh, sometimes just searching for my own curiosity or to maybe solve a problem at hand at work. And so I end up collecting quite a bit of content during the week and then deciding what seems to be worth it to bring up on the show. And that's what I'll put in the show notes, uh, at least as a candidate topic. Uh, and sometimes there's, you know, here's how the sausage is made. There's sometimes there's enough where I'm like, hmm, I think I'm going to squirrel these away for a week where nothing really happens. So that way we have something to talk about. And, and that's worked out a couple of times. So I'm glad for that. So if you think I have too many picks now, I, I could be dumping tons of picks every week <laughs> and we'd have a three hour show. No, it's the pick episode. Yeah, exactly. Nothing exactly. but picks. <laughs> we got a question from Troy Hanna at third underscore beach on Twitter. Uh, what are things that Android is doing right that you want to see in iOS and or you think Apple needs to worry about Android? You know, isn't that just like the uh, iPhone light? That gets everyone in the door. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Sick burn. I just heard about Google Fi, like the oh, yeah. the mobile provider. Yeah, and I was like, oh, this actually sounds pretty good, pretty good deal. But you have to activate it on a uh, Nexus Five X or the Giant Six P, I think it's called. Yeah, and I was actually considering. I was like, oh, maybe I'll do it because I did want to get an Android phone just to play around with. I have an ancient Nexus One, like the one with the little nub uh scroll wheel that. thing yeah i yeah, got the I same phone that. but i Me was like too. you know what? i should probably get a more modern android phone if i want to play around with it so i was thinking maybe i'll do that i can switch my service they say once you activate it you can always just move the sim to your iphone and it's fine really just, that's what i've heard that it does actually work but it just needs to be activated on a on a nexus oh interesting uh, i know so i was like oh maybe i'll do it and i kind of thought about it but i don't know i haven't done it yet but uh android here are some good things yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, it, it. There are so many parallels between Windows and Mac of the '90s. You know, uh, when I think about this, because you know, while it's definitely becoming a much more credible operating system, and it's, I don't want to, you know, heap disrespect on people who use Android. Uh, I just uh, the security story is what bugs the heck out of me. You know, I really feel like it's from everything I've read about Android's security model. Uh, that there's a real problem there, you know. Um, it's susceptible to hackers. It's uh, full of malware, and it's like everything because it's open, right? That in this instance, Apple's closed principles on iOS uh, really do make a significant difference. The only problem is that your average user doesn't care about these things. Well, I think that, to be honest with you, I think Android has reached a certain level of maturity. But, I mean, as to whether or not, like, I don't know that Apple necessarily needs anything to worry about. Like, it's not like, you know, the Windows, Mac days when Windows was so dominant and Mac was just sort of, you know, the best platform out there. Um, you know, it, it's, I, you know, because I, I now work in an environment where we support both platforms, and I, and I know Greg does too, right? So, um and and I don't see any I don't see any under like you know to be honest with you when I first worked started working with Android I have a couple of early Android phones and I found them very clunky and very sort of you know um, not as polished as Apple tended to be all those times but and you know and, and the numbers you know people buying more more Android phones out there and that kind of stuff but in terms of the long game I think that uh, you know I'm I, I'm glad to see that Android's reached a level of maturity where it it, it can be taken seriously. 
And but I don't think Apple needs to worry about it specifically as as a challenge to their business or to their platform or to their hardware because their hardware is still far superior to, in my opinion, than than things we see out of other other companies. They may not jump on the new you know technologies as quickly like you know NFC took a while to get to to the iPhone and stuff like that. But um, I think that's that's a good thing. Um, but I do see your point. I do agree with your point about the fact that it tends to be open and and hackable and. People can unlock things and, and on the Android side, and that does worry me that you know things can can go awry really quickly, right? So, I I think um, I I would like to hear from both Jaime and Greg on what they think about Android. So maybe I'll maybe I'll go first. Um, sure. We both of us are being too kind, I guess. Uh, you go first. No, you go first. Um, so I think I'll caveat by saying that a lot of these things. Um, have actually been addressed or, or at least started to be addressed. Um, you know, big things like around the app store and, and how, uh, by and large, uh, Google play is just so much better for developers, right? Everything is just so much more capable, um, for the most part and, and things are getting to be addressed, right? It, it's great to see a lot coming through of, you know, a refocused effort around making app review, you know, less painful and some of the flexibility that is, um, been the double-edged sword for android is coming in a in some sort of way for for ios right we talked about ios 10 being all about extensive extensibility extensions and that's getting much closer to a much more plug-and-play model that you can do with android so that's that's great that we have something that's you know a bit safer and, and more controlled so it's not completely wild west you know there's some actual paving on the road and there's some rules and guidelines. It's not just people running around poking each other with sticks. Um, I, I do think that it would be nice to see. Um, it's probably more ecosystem based than it is iOS per se. So if you extend it out to what Apple does, I think that transition to things being much more data and services is going to be a rough one for them. And it's good that they're making the transition now. Uh, you know, they're doing, they're recognizing that, Hey, we need, you know, we need to do face recognition and person recognition and, you know, cat video recognition too, as well. They want to do it in a way that preserves your privacy. So that that's good. Right. They went out and they found you know all these research papers. Oh, great. You know, differential privacy. Okay, cool. That's nice. Um, but it needs to go beyond that. Right. It needs to be the case where you feel very comfortable saying, yeah, of course my stuff is in the cloud, right? It's not like they're trying to drive every little dollar, nor are they still working with like some old web objects based system that, oh, guess what? The store has to go down for 20 minutes while they do the keynote or something like that, right? The, the sorts of things that Google is really good at and that Android really benefits from, that things are a little bit more seamless and just known to be there, not flaky. So it's not like any one particular thing. It's the I think for me, it's a sort of that classic sort of take where Apple has been predominantly really good at design as its strength and not so much at the engineering side. And Google has predominantly been really good at engineering and not so good at design. Uh, both have come, come a little bit towards the middle. You know, they've, they've covered up some of their weaknesses by getting better at them. But I would, you know, if I had to bet my money, I would say, you know, it's way easier to get better at design than it is to get better at engineering, right? Like if you have a massive entity like an app store, 
it's really hard to turn that around overnight and say, oh, guess what? We're going to do something completely new. If you want to say, oh, well, we're going to completely redesign how this operating system looks great. You can do that in a third of the time that it would take you to do the other project. So that, that's that's something I would look out for, I think. It's my two cents. Good. I mean, the thing that you know I get from what you just said there, Jaime, is that um, it's not necessarily something that we have to worry about per se, but more that um, I think we're seeing the benefits of the competition between the two companies, right? Right. It's not one-sided where... Yeah. 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 It's not any one is, is, is obviously superior, but that Apple benefits from Android because we take features from them and vice versa. I mean, we, you know, Android is, is taking some of the cues that have made Apple successful. Yeah, I think some of the rivalry that's created out there is is between business and marketing, kind of, you know, who's, who's, whose stock should you hold and that kind of stuff. I think that a lot of those um, uh, rivalries are, 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 what's the word you use, conflated all the time, right? Sort of, they're overblown. not... Overblown. Yeah, overblown. They're not, they're not really, they're not real, right? They're, you know, because I mean, the reality is like, you know, I was talking to my, my manager today and we're... He, he just showed me his BlackBerry and it's been, you know, it's, it's had an accident and it's time to move on to a new phone. And he was sort of like, you know, I'm going to get an Android. And I just sort of said to him, I pleaded with him, just don't get an Android. Get a, buy an iPhone, buy a real phone. <laughs> anyway. I think Android, uh, sorry, BlackBerry users do tend to move towards Android. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Yeah. And, and again, it's a, it's a perception thing too. And, and I think oh, wow. mar- Isn't mar- everything? <laughs> marketing, well, marketing has a lot to do with that in terms of how things are positioned and, and, uh, but then I, you know, I know a lot of people who've who've moved to Android from iOS and and vice versa, right? So it's uh, I, I really don't think um, if I'm going to buy a phone, I'm going to buy an iPhone. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I really don't see that much functional difference between them these days. You know, in terms of design or function or capabilities. You know, making phone calls, God forbid. Yeah, weird. Greg, do you have anything to say about this? You guys covered a lot of the good stuff. I think what. Android always seems to be, not always, Android often seems to be a step ahead in terms of, like we mentioned, extensibility. Things like having widgets and intents. And I think iOS might have been ahead for, I'm thinking of the 3D touch on home screen icons, where if you force touch down on an icon, you can get four actions or something like that, that the developer can specify sort of as a quick access into the app. And I think something like that is coming. I thought I saw something about that. I had to look it up in Android N that's coming up. And they have a similar thing where um, apps can specify specific actions that you can take as sort of a quick action right from the also right from the home screen. So the direction of those kinds of features has usually been the other way, whereas Android says, oh, we allow extensions, we allow this, and then Apple kind of slowly rolls it out um, in terms of that kind of thing. But I think as people become more comfortable with their phones, uh, in the old days, it might have been just developers and nerds who were like, I want to customize everything. I want to build my own kernel and I want to, you know, set my wallpaper to be this animated GIF or whatever it was that the system didn't allow you to do. And they wanted to customize it. But I feel like regular users are becoming more and more attuned to that kind of thing. And they're like, yeah, I also want to customize my lock screen and I want to set what actions I can do from the app icon and so on. And it's the kind of thing that Android offers and it's the kind of feature that Android offers first, whereas iOS will come around a year or two years or whenever later. So that's the thing I feel that as people use their phones more and more and want to customize them more and more, that's something that Google and Android, I think, are going to be ahead of Apple. Of course, the other argument is Apple does it Apple does it properly, you know, once someone else has set the feature or whatever, but 
I think that's definitely something to that I wish Apple would sort of take the lead on something like that, which is tough. But you know, Google being all open and open to experimentation and all that, they can uh, maybe I guess they're just more willing to um, to do that kind of thing. And then shades of Mac versus Windows, Apple versus Windows, or whatever. I would also say, what is the thing that Android is doing right that iOS maybe is not? Of course, the answer is always market share. And Android is just huge in terms of the numbers. And if you're coming out with an app these days and you're thinking, how do I want to reach the most number of people? Then uh, the answer is Android. So I would say I wish that, I don't know what the answer there is. Apple needs to come up with a lower price phone or whatever it is, but it's just the vast greater audience that Android has compared to iOS. And yeah, I would say that's something Apple needs to worry about. Hmm. It's, it's interesting, though. Uh, it's just thinking while you're talking there that in the classic days, like Mac classic days, there was a lot more custom customization. People used to do, do their desktops and change icons and folders and, you know, have window shade and stuff like that going. Um, it doesn't seem to be as much uh, since we've switched over to the um, the uh, uh, OS X uh, era, right? Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing where, like, Mac OS 9 was just crazy with all the extensions that you could have. And OS 10, they were like, all right, fresh start. We're not going to allow these little kernel hacks and they're going to be frowned upon. Eventually, they had like the signing for kernel extension, things like that. And they kind of lock it down. They slowly open it up. And iOS has done the same thing, right? Now we have photo extensions and share extensions and all kinds of stuff like that. So, yeah, it's just slowly opens up over time. Um, Apple's just traditionally slower than most, let's say. Cool. So, Aaron, you have an F, uh, FU from last week's show. Or yeah, so uh, last week I did a pick about the Lulzbot Mini, a 3D printer that uh, looked very promising for me. And I got a tweet response from Adam Armstrong on Twitter. That's at Adam T. Armstrong. Uh, pointing me to a Kickstarter project for a 3D printer that's in development right now, but looks pretty, pretty close to launching, called the Trinus. And this is what appears to be, and of course we can't know because it doesn't actually exist yet, a very high-quality printer that is super inexpensive. It starts at $299 US, and it has all-metal construction, which is very unusual in 3D printers, especially commodity ones. Uh, prints a variety of of materials and has all kinds of extra components and even at the top of the line like you get all the pieces together it's 550 dollars us uh which includes like a container case uh, a 3d uh, the 3d printer extruder head the a laser engraver so you can swap out the print head for a laser engraver <laughs> uh, a whole bunch of uh, filament and an lcd display um, and that's the top of the line right now it is a little on the small side, like the print volume that it can do might be a little too small for what I would want for it, but it's definitely worth checking out if you're into this. Uh, and assuming that they ship, they are looking to ship in July, which is, if I look at the calendar here, it is July. Really? Mm. Hmm. Yes. So they should be shipping soon. Uh, it looks like they're, they're saying they're delivering in August at this point. So uh, it should be pretty soon now. So we'll put the link in the show notes. And then you can check it out yourself. It's called the Trinus 3D printer. As you know, I went to um, Maker Festival, it's called, here in Toronto last week, um, sort of a maker fair. And there were a number of 3D printers there. Um, A lot of Delta printers, Aaron, I'm sure you know what those are. 
Um, and it, we were, I was talking to a lot of the, the uh, people who had uh, devices there, and they seem to have all come down quite a bit in price um, in the market. And there was a lot of commodity type, type printers, um, some Kickstarter projects. There was even one that was all self-contained. The only thing coming out of the back of it was a power power cord. So, um, but uh, discussing it with a friend of mine, we're sort of the we're sort of the what do you, what, do they, what do they call it? homebrew kind of uh, computer club days. Uh, as it was back in the 70s and 80s, uh, that's kind of sort of where 3D printing is. We were discussing that, um, or Dave Dave LeBur actually, and I were talking about that. It's you know we're sort of breaking the ground for for before it becomes sort of a, commun- a consumer product, right? But there were quite a, quite a number of choices. Was my point about uh, the Maker Fair? So, wish I'd been there. All right. Hey, but what one thing I would talk about? Uh, we just we didn't talk about uh, when Jess, about Jesse's question about how the show gets made. Um, I just want to say I'm sitting in my living room with my desktop Mac and my um, Yeti microphone with a you know um, isolated mount. Um, and uh, where are you sitting, Aaron? And where where do you normally sit? I should say when you're when you're recording. Normally, I I could be in a number of places in the house depending on if my wife is home or not. She does not like me to be in the room I prefer to be in, which is an upstairs bedroom, uh, which is a nice carpeted floor, a door that closes, a couch, and uh, a good sound absorption overall, and much more comfortable. Uh, she prefers that I be in the basement because she hates me, really. She doesn't like me. Uh, in, <laughs> like in an animal. I the basement, which is How can anyone not like you? Oh, what a great question, Greg. I, I, will, I will forward that to her, and, and she will no doubt re- write a voluminous response. <laughs> Florid with Maybe much she'll start a podcast cursing. about him. Doubt her. And she'll record uh, it upstairs. I'll just throw that in. Oh, she totally would. And uh, she, it's the basement is is a loud echoing space, and the furnace is right there. You've heard it all before. Oh yes. So oh, yes. Uh, but I do have my uh, Yeti mic, same as you. No shock mount or anything like that. It just sits on a table. Um, when I'm upstairs, I've got um, a a cat. What do you call those things? The things that cats scratch. You know, that's got platforms and stuff. You know, with, that's made of carpet. Like a you kitty condo about. kind of thing? Yeah, it's not as big as that. But um, it, it turns out to be an excellent place to put my computer and my microphone because uh, there's multiple levels, right? I put the computer on the top level and the mic on the bottom, and I sit in front of it, in, in front of the mic, and it works really well. And get dirty looks from the cat or what? Nah, they don't care. They scratch all the other stuff in the house, not the not the kitty scratch post, post whatever. Post, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that's my setup. Now, I know, Greg, when you were in your, living in your condo, you had sort of a recording space, but where do you, what do you do now? I never had a recording space. I am here at my desk. I have like a high Ikea bar table that's like a standing desk. I'm sitting, though, because, you know, we're talking for an hour or whatever it is. So I'm sitting. I have a, one of those arms that mounts to the side of the desk, and at the end of it is also a blue Yeti mic, although I also have a Audio-Technica something-something or other, dynamic mic or other, but... Uh, that's packed away somewhere. So I've got the same mic, and I am sitting here recording. And Jaime? So I also use the Blue Yeti condenser mic. I have um, some audio, or sorry, acoustic foam that I put around the mic to sort of deaden some of the sound, because otherwise this room will echo tremendously. It's somewhat the most convenient room, because it also happens to be like my little home office. So my desk is big enough for me to just sort of plop down over here to one side and have things available like I normally would if I was writing code. Cool. This is so inside baseball, though. Yeah, well, he did ask. That. He did ask. Yeah, well, okay. Let's Would move on to the show. Would you rather talk about Buckethead or? 
Uh, absolutely not. You know what? You know, I heard <laughs> I heard you guys start on that the show that I wasn't on. You went on to Buckethead, and I was yeah. like, I looked at the timer. It's like you guys are going to talk about this for the next fifteen minutes. I'm sorry, I deleted the rest of the show. I didn't listen to it, and then right. and then last week's show. After I hung up, you guys started talking about it again. Yeah. And there was 15 minutes of that. You better believe that was a deleting. <laughs> we, ha- we have some Buckethead follow-up for you, Aaron. Not interested. Move on. <laughs> That's what we oh use the after show for, for the uh, right. more than just codes. And so we can be all once, about codes. Aaron leaves, yes. You keep this up, it's going to be the more than just Buckethead content. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. I mean, geez. A dash of code. No, if Mark had his way. <laughs> okay. Um... We already talked about Android. Do you want to get in on this, like, Google making better apps for the phone because it's a better platform? Wait, is that what they meant? That's it was great. an interesting interesting article, yeah. Google is making better apps for the iPhone than for Android. And someone had written, I think, something previously and had made the point that I have an iPhone. I use all of these Google apps on it, like the Gboard, Google Search, Google Maps, Google everything. And I think the question was, like, why would I move to Android? I have all of my Google apps here on iOS, and they're awesome compared to, I think, maybe what this person had seen on Android. And so we thought, why isn't Google, why is Android making such awesome iOS apps? I guess it's debatable. You could say iOS it's is a better Google. platform. You could say uh, there are more good iOS developers than there are Android developers. I don't know. But this it was a very interesting article about Google apps on the iPhone and how awesome they are. And I did hear about one that I hadn't known, heard about, which I was going to make my pick, but I'll just mention it now called motion stills which does some cool stuff with your um live photos if you have a 6s or 6s plus or an se so really cool app really cool app but uh, it was just an interesting read just about the comparison between the two because again i was thinking about getting an android device and thinking oh all the google services will be awesome on it but then realizing maybe i already have the best of it running google maps and gboard and whatnot on my on my phone so that's why I put it in there. All right. Jaime, can you tell him? You know, I was going to tell him beforehand, but traffic was just so rough for me getting on here that I didn't have a chance to. Um, <laughs> so just like we like to recycle Dropbox folders, we also sometimes recycle pics, which you know, after 100 <laughs> episodes, it's really hard to uh, to remember. That one wasn't that far ago. That was one that I had uh, distinctly before WWDC, and I was afraid to use it because i wasn't sure what was about to come out oh okay Uh, i don't remember that but i will second it as like a really nifty idea um i sadly can't take advantage of it because i don't have a 6s or 6s plus um but i can imagine that live photos would be really cool to see for that it's cool because i think it stabilizes them because a lot of my live photos when i i've got the se so i don't have the 3d touch but when i just press and hold on it it's like cool stuff happening and then you see the phone move away like i'm taking the picture and then i move my hand like yeah. i've moved the phone and so the either the first second or the second the last second of my all my live photos is like the phone kind of moving away and the motion stills app seems to be smart enough to detect that and it'll actually cut that out and i think it also stabilizes it so anyway it does a really good job with making the live photos look really cool so i got my hands on an on a six s plus today because I, I procured some phones for work and i thought well before i hand this off to the guy who did the yeah, developer was going to use it i'm going to take a few pictures and i'm going to play with 3d touch and see what it's all about so i took three photos of my desk like a, i have a pc there and i took it my mac and i took a picture of my phone and then I, I just remembered what greg said about holding down on the photos and as i moved my camera from one position to the other that was what the live photo part was was me moving the camera <laughs> yeah i get a lot I of those too was really dumb 
really dumb feature. I thought I thought the idea was you, know, you you your cat sitting there, you know, looking all pristine, and you take a picture of him, and he winks his eye or something like that, and that becomes your live photo. I mean, it depends on how quickly you do it. If you bring your phone up to your subject and you wait a second, you say, "Come on, little Timmy or whatever, smile, smile," and then you hit the shutter, and oh. then you say, oh, "Okay, that was pre- my hand is still up," and you say, oh, "Okay, that was pretty good." Then you know, like whatever it is, the two seconds after and the two seconds before you hit the shutter, it's actually really. Or not really, but interesting, potentially interesting material, right? But yeah, if you're like me, yeah. you just put your hand up, hit the button, put your hand back down. And then so all my yeah. live photos are kind of crappy. But the few that I have that are good, the Motion Stills app does a really good job. And yes, I'm looking back in the notes and it was episode 95. I don't know how I missed that, but... Yeah, but actually, did, did Jaime actually use that? Did we use that in the show? Yeah, we talked about it extensively, actually. Okay, okay. Yeah, like Jaime, Jaime went through the whole motion uh, reduction algorithm and stuff like that. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. Got really Cody on us? Yeah, a little bit. So, yeah, great app. And uh, we also talked about on that show about how my sister really discovered or discovered live photos. And uh, we're all up here together at the cottage. And my mom has now discovered live photos in sort of a similar demo. Everybody in this family has a better phone than I do. And it kills me. (laughs) That's Um, sad. Yeah, it really is. Do they have MTJC t-shirts too? No, do I will have one? No, okay, never mind. We're not going to go there. Too pain, too much pain. So, so there's a, there's a there's an interesting Greg and Tim sidebar involving Google. Can we go there? Let's hear it. I don't even know what this is. So Greg and I were we met together for lunch when he came to to uh, Toronto uh, a couple of months ago, and you know we were hanging around having lunch, and uh, we were taking selfies at the in front of the uh, the pasture, which is a, a set of sculptures in uh, TD Center there. And as we're walking back towards my my building, we saw the Google car there, right? And we sort of said, "Hey, we're on the Google car." So we just stood there for a minute, and we kind of looked at the Google car, and then. As the Google car passed by and it was way too late, I said, you know, we should have totally taken a selfie with the Google car. This is a Street View car. Yeah. Right on. What a bunch of dummies, eh? Yeah, you got to plan ahead for that sort of thing because you never know when you're going to see the Google car. Well, I'm, next just, time I see I'm just going to check the Street View to see if we're on there yet. Because I, I was wondering, Tim, like, how long does it, how long do they take to process those things and put them on there? Because I was yeah, like, I how know. long do I have to wait before I can go on and, and see myself on there, you know? All right, what else you got here? What's next? So, we have to talk about Facebook. I mean, those guys, who even likes them anymore? Well, I actually just saw this today, and I thought it was an interesting uh, little uh, piece on... This is such a tough room, Tim. Don't you realize how tough a room this is? I go throwing shade all over Facebook, and Greg just sits there with his arms crossed. <laughs> that is how I'm sitting. Oh wow. It's like, it's, it's like it. the camera is turned on or something. It's amazing. Kind of glaring at your microphone, <laughs> throwing ocular daggers at me. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Tim. Well, no, so I just, I just saw this today, and I thought it was interesting. We've talked about, uh, again, we were just talking about devices, Aaron, and how we don't have really good ones. And it turns out that Facebook has a very many of them, right? Hmm. So they, they've, uh, there's an article published on TechCrunch today about Facebook showing off their, their test racks, right? And they've got, like, you know, all these racks and racks and racks of iPhones and, and the minis running Leopard and Leopard? No. That can't be right. That can't be right. Four OCP Leopard servers. So the same company that makes RoboCop apparently makes servers. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of neat how they've got, uh, I guess this is for the UA automation testing that they must do. um, Because I've heard of some labs that have, when they're doing testing, they have to have actual devices plugged into the, for the bills, right? And uh, kind of a, kind of a cool thing. So if you're interested in how, how the big companies or the big dogs do it, there's a cool article. We'll put that in the show notes. 
Right. And before we get feedback on this, this is OCP, the open compute project that Facebook is part of, not Omni Consumer Products, the maker of Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> like I would know. Like all, right. all of our listeners know. I don't know if we want to talk about this other Android thing. I mean, this is going to turn into the more than just Android podcast. All right. And this is getting nuts. What's up with the Android? Well, so this was just... Uh, you want to marry it? <laughs> this is an article by Dude who talked about how their company put uh, an app on the Android store, but they wrote it in Swift. Good time. They were doing some pretty technical stuff in there. Like I would have thought, oh, we had this these bits and pieces of our app, then we were going to glue it together in Swift, or it's like we had this library that, I don't know, it doesn't want to call out to the network or whatever. But they're doing, I, I'm not sure exactly what the app is, but they did audio filtering. So they wrote sort of a lower level thing of their app in Swift. So that was interesting, picking Swift to do something like like that. I don't know. Maybe it's because I think of Swift and iOS intertwined, and that's like a UI kind of a, you know, an, a language for making UI and making apps. But it was an interesting use of Swift in there, I think. Yeah, well, there's an interesting piece right there in the middle about how they, I think in the same code base, they wrote for Android and iOS by separating out which, whether they would load uh, glibc or foundation, right? Mm, I think that's something that's already in the build because a lot of stuff in foundation was missing from uh, from Linux. And so they were using glibc oh, stuff for that stuff. Mm. Um, I don't know if they're, I think they're not the ones who came up with that. I think that was the, back from the original, um, when Swift was open source and it was there, to, there was a Linux target. I think uh, the pe- engineers at Apple also had glibc in there. There's a bit of humor in here. So under the audio filtering segment, there's a bit how they had been using a library called NVDSP uh, for audio filtering. And apparently the author of that component, Bart Oldstorn, had used a Google translated version of a Japanese blog to understand how to use the function. This... Uh, it's a mathematical function. It's it's hard to describe. It doesn't have like a actual name from what I see here, like Laplacian or something. And that is funny enough as a second. That is actually something I've had to do before. Uh, it's mostly Chinese blogs that I've had to do. Be really? like, oh my gosh, this is like Chinese Stack Overflow or something. I really hope that Google Translate gives me something I can work with to figure out this problem. So hmm. kudos to them for doing that. Yeah, back in the day, we used to have to when we were doing web development. Sometimes you end up with answers to to tech questions in Russian. And you'd have to do the same sort of thing. I used to take my printouts to them. I used to play hockey with a bunch of Russian guys. And I'd take them. They were Russian IT guys, believe it or not. And I would take them printouts and say, what does this say? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a sidebar. And Jaime just highlighted it there. I actually put that there, Jaime, to see if you know you know what No Man's Sky is, right? That sounds familiar. And it's not that's coming that, to me that's right now. That's a procedural game that's coming out on, um, I think, probably PC and PS3, PS4. It's a whole, like the whole, uh, it's a giant gazillion worlds and it's all procedurally generated. So the, the size of the actual file is kind of small. You heard of the game? You know, the, the title sounded familiar. So it's coming out for PS4 and Windows. Let's see. It says here from my Google search here, um, an upcoming action adventure survival game published by the indie studio hello games that's probably why i hadn't heard of it that's uh, so indie uh, an indie crew is doing that one huh? good for them yeah yeah anyway enough about that enough about it you didn't even start about it well so i kind of i kind of sort of said everything i know about it and that's that basically it's uh it's it's been talked about quite a bit it looks it looks actually really interesting um 
And it's kind of a space-faring game uh, where you go and discover worlds and stuff like that. But uh, And I think it uh, I, I kind of got the impression that it was kind of a... Uh, worlds would be generated as other players kind of go into the world and play around. It's not just a single-player game, like multiverse kind of multi-person... We call those multiple game uh, environments where multiple massively multiplayer online role playing game. Exactly, something like that. Um, and but but the whole concept of a game that would uh, you know I, I suppose they they put together uh, algorithms for different things, and as you play the game, it kind of builds out the universe that you play in. I've been seeing trailers for this for probably a, a year anyway. It yeah. Feels like, uh, and it really does look quite lovely, like a beautiful rendering of you know this universe. You can uh, travel from planet to planet uh, via spaceship. Uh, every planet that you visit has its own flora and fauna, and you can teleport to other planets. And it's all procedural; it's all done in real time as sure. needed as players enter the environment. Yeah, and cool. some of the, but I'm not so, much of a gamer. You know, <laughs> I guess this is why you asked, Mr. I mean. <laughs> Lopez. Yes, yes. I thought he'd be. Do all you know about this? this? Well, then. Sorry for being remiss in, in in bringing my expertise to the crowd on this one. Just shaking my head, man. Just shaking my head. <laughs> Greg, the secret life of types in Swift. No, I'm going to make this my selection of the episode instead. Okay. Cool. So let's go the to epi- the... Oh, aren't you? His, oh, his... that's what that stands for. Why? I like, put what? Shadows of the Empire because I didn't know what, <laughs> <laughs> what SOTE stood for. Okay. Greg going rogue with his own terminology here. He's going rogue. I wonder, if he has, I wonder if he has more than one selection of the episode. I had oh, one, gonna... unlike uh, Mr. Lopez Oh, he got shot there. down. That's what's happened here. Yes. So are we going to talk about Nintendo, or are we just going to roll into picks? What else are we talking about here? If we talk about Nintendo, because we're about to talk about Nintendo when Jaime comes on. Oh, okay. Right. I don't even know yeah. what this one is on, on the... I, oh, I, I, put, I put this one in here. It was a call on the web there's a special domain developer.nintendo.com it's like hell has frozen over and you know the pigs, <laughs> oh, are, right. pigs are flying out there with the cows so you can now register as a nintendo developer and it's all the frequently asked questions are awesome it's like what do i need to get started it's like nothing just sign up it's like you know <laughs> can i develop for the wii u as well it's like absolutely you can develop for both the the 3ds and the wii u and we're awesome and the only one question is how to get developer hardware. How do I get developer hardware? And it's like, please sign up and then you'll find more information inside. So I didn't get that far. So I don't know what the deal is with hardware. But Nintendo is totally like, yes, you don't have to be a big studio. I think one of the questions was, do I need a business address? And it's like, no, we will take your home address to sign up. So the questions are pretty funny. But they really want to seem to want to open this up to everybody. And it's a Unity-based SDK or it's just Unity. I don't know the exact technical details behind it, but... If you know C Sharp or you know Unity, you can now target the Wii and the 3DS. So here we go. Nintendo, and maybe we'll talk about Pokemon later on, but <laughs> Nintendo games going on iOS and sort of non-Nintendo hardware platforms, and now Nintendo opening things up with developer accounts. So if you're an interested game developer, you love Nintendo, then definitely something to check out. Well, I heard Nintendo stock went up in the last couple of days, but um, has Nintendo always sort of been a closed environment or... I guess so, right? They have been, I mean... Or they were like $10,000 to enter the playing field or something I like mean, that. I mean, I'm just, I only know about back in the old days where it was like, you had to get the Nintendo seal of quality on there, which was just meant like you paid them a lot of money and they took a giant cut of all of the things and you had to get Nintendo to manufacture the cartridges for you. And so 
Nintendo was sort of in their nose all over the place. I think that was part of the reason when Apple said, you can name your own price, put it on the store, we'll take 30%. I think a lot of the game developers were like, this is awesome, we're totally going to iOS for that reason, because I think the game sort of hardware console industry was not so friendly to sort of third-party developers, at least Nintendo, maybe the others, Sony, Microsoft were a little bit better. But um, yeah, I think Nintendo kind of opening it up to anybody, and they're kind of like, yeah, we have tutorials, we have all this stuff to help teach you so they really seem to want to get the more hobbyist developers on board it seems which yes i think is a big 180 for them as a kind of company culture thing well i guess we're crack open unity again hmm are we there yet aaron we are there let us do our picks let us make picks let us make picks it's okay aaron do you have a pick to make up i have a pick absolutely uh i just discovered this today Just to mirror what I was saying earlier about how I've been scrambling to get picks on the day of the show, I'm bad. But this one is actually super cool, and I'm using it now. It's it's a little plugin for the Mac called Rocket, made by a fellow named Matthew Palmer. And it's just a very simple little utility that you download, and it runs in your menu bar. And what it does is gives you the ability to put emoji into your text fields as if you were using Slack. Uh, you guys use Slack, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone here does. So you know that if you type a colon and a word, it'll start automatically trying to match a an emoji. And it a little popover comes up as you're typing this word with the colon in front of it. And then you can very quickly select and drop in the emoji instead of the word, which is super handy, right? Because on the Mac today, if you want to drop an emoji into the word, it's not terrible, but a lot of people don't really know this. You have to commit command control space. Let me confirm that while I'm typing here. Yes, it's command control space to bring up the character palette, yeah. which includes the emojis, the system and emojis. And you have to search for them like an animal. Yeah, well, hey, there is at least, is at least a, a search, search field. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, iOS doesn't have that. Uh, iOS 10 beta does have a, a an emoji replace feature where if there is a matching emoji on a word you type, it will highlight it in orange. You can tap it and select a matching emoji. But on the Mac, this is really easy now because it, it, it mimics what Slack does. You type a colon, you type a word, and it, it just pops up the match and you select it. And it's super fast. So, I actually have text replacement set up to do that for my very commonly used emoji. So this looks, this looks awesome. Because it does the better. little picker and everything, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So go to matthewpalmer.net slash rocket and it's just a free download. It's just a little thing I think he hacked together. What a great idea. Um, love it when people do something like that. Rocket. Jaime. Yeah, I'm done. Oh, wait. Should we go Greg? Jaime, Jaime, Greg, Greg. Let's do Greg because Jaime is going to take the rest of the episode, I think. All right. Okay. <laughs> My All right. selection for this episode is a blog post called The Secret Life of Types in Swift. And it's written by somebody who works on the, uh, or somebody part of the Swift team at Apple. And of course, there's a big disclaimer that says this is not officially from Apple, blah, 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 does not commit anything to in the future, and so on. Anyway, he wrote this very, very good post about how the type system, not type inference, because that's like a whole other blog, uh, series, but how the type system works in Swift. So I think this is just the first of several parts Um and he's going to kind of go lower and lower into like the SIL layer and the um, LLVM layer, I think, eventually. But if you're a Swift nerd and you're curious about how types work and how they're implemented, then check it out. The Secret Life of Types in Swift. That's my pick. Yeah. Does look interesting. 
it goes uh, really deep too i I, <laughs> I sort of casually browsed through that and it gets uh gets really far into the nitty-gritty details that's for sure I, I when i got to the conclusion i was like oh that was great and then it's like but this is only the beginning is <laughs> how so the last sentence starts <laughs> and Whoa. so it's like oh wow it's going to go into more parts so which i thought was great but yeah it is a very um in-depth read for sure 18 minutes says medium but i suspect that that would be for a normal kind of medium article this is probably longer than 18 minutes if you really want to kind of stop no and kidding. understand everything set aside an hour at least yep, yep. crazy Ooh. cool though but it's great to see also that Apple, people work at Apple kind of blogging on their own um, about Apple stuff, Swift in this case. It is open source Ooh. and all of that, but still nice to see that it's not just Swift.org officially sanctioned blog post, but they can write about other stuff too. So that's kind of nice to see. Did you mention it was Slava Petsov? I did not mention the name, so thank you. All right, Jaime. Hey, Jaime, unload on us, man. <laughs> I've got a comfortable chair. I've still got some tea left. So, yes, I'm just going to sit out of my drink. I'm quietly. ready for my nap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a hot day. So, make sure you, you hydrate and <laughs> keep the windpipe going. You know, it, it is a, an audio-only format. Um, All right. Back that dump truck up to our house and let us go. Come on. Do it. <laughs> so, pick of the week number two is uh pokemon well, go by we're counting down Mantic. okay i get it <laughs> spoilers um so i i have a hard time believing that by the time this episode goes out that people won't know what pokemon go is um because if it's anything like my experience this is a phenomenon that you don't really see that often right we've, we've talked about things like flappy bird that uh it seems like everybody's playing but like it's kind of hard to tell, right? Because Flappy Bird is the kind of game you you know people can play on the toilet. You're like, I don't know who's doing what. You know, I just kind of see it on Twitter or I talk to people, you know, that sort of thing. In this case, people, because of the way the game is set up, have to there physically go out. hordes and hordes of people. Yeah, you, if you see a cluster of people, like, using their phones very intently, um, and it doesn't really matter what age. I've seen teenagers, I've seen adults, I've seen older folks than that. Um, it's It's amazing so so what is pokemon go just for the folks who who, who don't know so if, if you're even vaguely familiar with pokemon the intellectual property right the you know collectible gotta catch them all catchphrase thing of uh you know you've got these different creatures that have different abilities and it's sort of like a rock paper scissors type of scheme uh, these are games that are on nintendo's systems like the 3ds the game boy and so forth but they've partnered up with niantic a uh, a former bit of Google that was spun off into its its own entity as part of the alphabet restructuring. And it's a location-based augmented reality game that's pretty much a, a very nice skin on top of what was done for Ingress. So folks who may have played Ingress before, you would have a, a set of teams, you know, you're on one team or the other, and the challenge was for you to go out and capture different location points, right? Like the Space Needle in Seattle or the CN Tower or even just like, you know, the little dog park down the street. And and that was sort of how that game worked. This layers the Pokemon, you know, IP on top and says, oh, well, what do you do in Pokemon is you go out into the field and you capture creatures. And that's what you would do on the Nintendo. But here, like you're going out to physical places like Pioneer Square here in Seattle, or I guarantee you the Sears Tower in Chicago probably has like a really interesting thing. And I've seen places that are just like weird, random, like hotels in the area will have, you know, like a gym or a little Pokestop where you can go get items from and in various areas where you can find Pokemon. 
And it's this freemium aspect that has just like worked out really, really well because you, you don't have to really pay anything, but, but, but you can too, if you want, right. To, to help evolve your Pokemon, to, um, put lures out there. So there's this Pokemon lure that's like bait to draw out, you know, more Pokemon at a, at a higher frequency than you would normally have at, uh, one area. And it's interesting seeing that businesses are using this as an opportunity, right? So if you've, if you've got a Pokestop right in front of your business, you're like, hmm, I sure would love to see 10 times as many people show up at my front door and maybe some of them will buy some stuff. You'd spend a 99 cent in-app purchase in Pokemon Lure and guess what? There's all these millennials coming by your door and, and maybe buying some refreshments or something. So it's this huge phenomenon that's just like amazing. It's, it's a rather simple game to, to play. It doesn't really explain much to you, uh, unfortunately. It, it could use a little more hand-holding. But you pretty much you create a character. You go out and look on the map. It, it shows you a map of like like the real world, but you know, cartoonified. So you can recognize the, the streets in your neighborhood or maybe where you work or maybe the gym or something. You go and say, oh, well, there's a little spot over there. There's a Pokestop. Let me go walk over to it. It looks kind of like a little turnstile in the in the game. You spin it and you can pick up more items. Uh, Pokemon will randomly pop out at you, and you can tap on them and then like try to like fight them uh, or, or catch them at the very least. And, it, and this is the the other part of the augmented reality where they've they've done a pretty good job of like having the the Pokemon three uh, D model overlaid onto whatever you're looking at. So. There's plenty of like really funny and, and sometimes unfortunate ones that are out there. Like, you know, like if you're at a river, you know, a, a water Pokemon is, might be coming out of the river. If you're, you know, out on the ground somewhere, like in an open field, you'll show like, you know, like eradicate rat type Pokemon being like, you know, coming out of the grass, that sort of thing. It, it's something that I think has really helped capture the imagination for a lot of folks and is, you know, of course, powered by a, what has it been, 20, 25 year old IP that has just been going and going. This is like the, the Disney of video games sort of thing, right? This is uh, uh, up in that echelon of uh, like Mario that everybody recognizes, young and old. So I'd say folks, get out there, try it out. Um, be careful. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, isn't this how Skynet got started? <laughs> well, there's that, right? I mean, there's like, so, so there was a, it, it'll be old hat by the time that this gets done. There, there was the permissions snafu. Because you can sign up, you know, using your email and then create a little Pokemon account. That's fine. Uh, if you're like most people, you probably use the sign in with Google aspect. And for a very short period of time, that gave Niantic uh, absolute full access to everything that you had. Or maybe oh, wow. not. It was never really clear. Uh, Google hasn't been real forthcoming about this. And Niantic's statements are rather vague. As of this recording, they've they patched that. So you can go in, remove the permission, and then just log in again like i did everything's fine now uh, i was actually talking more about like the physical reality of being safe like uh you know oh, don't yeah, get course, run yeah. over crossing the street uh don't fall off a cliff uh you may or may not find you know things you don't want to see like human bodies this uh, unfortunate teenager did um uh, be mindful of where you're going out to like you know there's the holocaust museum that would really rather not have a whole bunch of people somewhat being less respectful of, of the area and just kind of stomping through the uh, the grounds you know you'd be mindful of where you're at i was gonna say i heard that uh that, that some people were nefarious people were were luring people into areas and then robbing them and things like that i don't know if that's 
Yeah, yeah like that. set up a mm-hmm. uh, set up a lure in a dark parking lot and just wait for people looking at their phones to wander in. And yes, I heard that too. So yes, do be yeah, careful. Um, yeah, like especially when, from, especially when hunting those night those nocturnal Pokemon. Yeah, be careful where you're going. <laughs> exactly. There, there's never a Pikachu in the van, so don't don't go in. <laughs> Hi, man. What level are you, and what team did you join? Quickly before you go to the next pick. You know, unfortunately, so I've, I've not had as much time to play as I would like. Um, I do get some time here and there. I'm only, as of this, writing uh, level six, which means I'm just at the point where I can uh, battle in the gym bits. Uh, I have chosen Team Valor, the red team, which has a Moultrie, a, a firebird, like a phoenix-like um, legendary character. Mortal enemies we are now. Oh, so what, what did you choose then? I'm on the, I'm on the blue team. Ah, uh, Team Mystic. Okay. The Facebook team, yeah. <laughs> so is I'm I'm I missed Pokemon when I was growing up, but is is like I thought Pokemon was like a trading card thing. Is that sort of how it's always sort of been? You're collecting collecting characters over the time. Is that how that worked back in the day? So it's not a well. Actually, I should restate that it is a trading card game as well. Um, you've probably seen tons of kids doing that sort of thing at um, you know board games uh, tournaments and and other things. Uh, but that's just an extension of the intellectual property of the brand. Uh, it started out as a game on the Nintendo, and it's very much like a uh, like a role playing game. So if you've played, you know, like Final Fantasy type games, right? I was going to say like the ones where you combat each other, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah where it's text based combat, right? You, like you tell it, oh, I want you to punch that one, or I want you to bite, or you know, do an electro shock or something. And it's very, um, you know, you have hit points and other bits that are very uh, static and there's tiny little animations. It's been much more about the, um, the collecting atmosphere. So that's, I think that's why it lent itself so well to a collectible card game and now to a real world collection scheme. So one, one to keep an eye on, um, at least as far as Twitter's Android usage goes, uh, I think by now they've crossed the point at which the daily active users for Pokemon go is greater than Twitter's on that platform. And the, the time has also notably, the, the, the time per session has passed uh, Facebook, who's the, the king of this, at you know 22-some minutes per day for, for Facebook, and now it's like 45 minutes for Pokemon Go. So it, it's amazing. We'll, we'll see if it has staying power. Um, if it does, uh, don't be surprised to see other games coming out, uh, like anything that has a collectible atmosphere. Like if I was Magic the Gathering, I would be salivating at the idea of doing this sort of thing so you don't think there's gonna be a bunch of copycat things like that coming out then i think there will be a whole swarm of them but i think there's only some properties that are, are going to be strong enough to to do it to, right. to really last uh, yeah. assuming this one lasts more than the uh and the initial burst of excitement that people have let's go on to the next pick huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah some people are Woo! melting here you know dying <laughs> Uh, and I should add that I've got, I, I have, for the first time ever, uh, instituted filters on my Twitter stream for Pokemon. <laughs> it has been unbelievable. What's I cannot not- believe. Yeah. Yeah. Any tweet with Pokemon does not appear in my stream because hmm. it's it's gotten crazy out of hand. Uh, so I can at least um, verify what Jaime was saying about how popular it's become. Yeah. It's insane. And this is the second week in a row we've talked about this game. That's true. I have a grumpy friend who works for the Ontario Science Center, and uh, he was tweeting today and taking pictures and putting up on Instagram. And I mean, for for Christmas last year, he got a selfie stick, and now this. So I'm talking nice. intervention. Okay. All right, Jaime, what do you got for pick number one? 
Pick number one is Silly Lightning Talk About Naming Things by Olaf Hellman, a uh, developer over at Dropbox here in Seattle. This is a video that you can watch of a lightning talk that he gave at the Seattle Xcoders meetup here locally. Um, I'll caveat by saying like I wasn't actually there for this one. What I was there for was the uh, original place that he gave this talk that was sadly not recorded at CocoConf Seattle 2016 back in May. And I've, I've watched the video. It's pretty much the same content. Uh, and, and so what is it? He talks about um, this concept called noun piles where you know, you have nouns that just sort of stack up on each other, and this is how we use um, to, a way to describe things. Uh, not necessarily everything is adjective noun to describe something. And in this talk, he gives you a really good explanation that that's it, it goes in a roundabout way. Um, it, it's about a ten minute video, but it's it really sticks with you. Where if you can imagine, you know, you know, how the heck do I really parse what this is saying? And why is it that I have a hard time remembering like the real meaning behind UI collection view, flow, layout, invalidation, context. Just think of that one, right? There's, there's all these nouns in there. UI collection, view, flow, layout, invalidation, context. And Olaf starts from saw and then goes to saw mill and so on and so forth, building his way to that and explaining to you why naming things is so hard and is, one of the most difficult things in computer science, including concurrency and off by one errors and so forth. Cache invalidation. Cache invalidation, not concurrency. <laughs> Although concurrency is difficult too. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a good one. I, I highly recommend it. It's fun. And what is your pick of the week, Jaime? So we are going to have pick number blast off, which is the whole reason for counting down here. That is the original Apollo 11 that that would be the one that got people to the moon. Uh, guidance computer source code, which is now available freely on GitHub. This is really cool. So if you really wanted to see what were people doing, you know, we, we talk so much nowadays about, oh man, it's like, it's so hard doing development. We're transitioning from Swift 2.3 to 3.x. And, you know, should we have for loops? Should we not have for loops? Should we have incrementers? Should we have decrementers? These folks were doing this stuff all in assembly. And, and you can see that style in there where it's it's very interesting to see that they are very heavily commented, right? Because who, who knows what like some register value happens to be, right? Just, just go take a look at, at some of the code. And I'd, I'd say keep an eye out for things like the search the repo for burn baby burn, which was some <laughs> engineers being cute. That is in the master ignition routine, right? Because this is a rocket. This is, you know, making explosions, fling people at a rock, you know, many millions of miles away. Uh, also, uh, trashy little subroutines, which is in the lunar guidance equations. And I think these are uh, like almost like a garbage collection cleanup sort of thing. So it's full of all sorts of fun stuff in there. Um, and it's a nice you know, blast from the past part of part of history. And of course, since it's on GitHub, you can do pull requests. There's people fixing typos, fixing errors. Um, some people are just being... You know, semi-funny and facetious, like there's a uh, a closed issue that says, you know, rewrite this in Rust, rewrite in Golang, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, some that are historical, like, oh, make sure you double check the oxygen tanks. <laughs> we might have an issue with that one. Nice. Yeah. Part That's of our, our software development history. I was going to say this by one of my favorite programmers, Margaret Hamilton, as well. She's one of the lead programmers. 
Right. And, and most people probably remember that, uh, that wonderful image of her where she, I, I don't know how tall she is. She doesn't seem especially large or, or tall nope. for a woman. Yep. Uh, but nevertheless, you have all of the source code printed out on uh, what, you know, looks like eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper. And it's as tall as her. It's as tall as a person worth of code that it took to, to get people there. Yeah. It's a lot of words. Good old assembly. I'm a fan. I should file an issue, say, convert this to ARM assembly. And the more people will be able to read it in the modern day. Ooh. Tim, do you have a pick? I do have a pick. And it's sort of a... Um, unfortunately, it's one of the uh, picks that to enjoy. You have to subscribe to um, have a, a RayWarnerLick.com account. But... Um, one of our Ding. pals, one of our pals over there, Sam, Sam Davis, Sam Davis, um, and I'm not sure what the backstory is. I did actually ask on Slack. Let me see if I got an answer, but um, uh, no, nobody. So what Sam's done, and and they they rolled this out around the time of uh, of WWDC to try and get things out quickly was uh, he does a couple of screencasts where he talks for anywhere between three minutes and twelve minutes on a particular subject. Uh, with a with a you know just you're you're not seeing a talking head you're actually seeing him do some code, um, and the first one was on I believe on the messaging messages sticker packs and how uh, a complex complex or not complex it is to make um, uh, some sticker packs and uh, he's gone on to do some other new features in in um, that we've got in iOS 10 and I'm sh- I presume he's going to do some on uh, Mac OS as well. But they're 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 really you know concise short um, videos, um, and I hope that they decide to make some of them free because they're they're really good. I just I mean, they've been out for what you know a month and a, a month or so, and I just started watching them because I finally found myself some time to do that right, and I'm really enjoying them. Have you seen any of them, Greg? Small little bite sized screencasts. I was just browsing through, and yeah, unfortunately, none of them. They're all marked subscriber only. Usually, one yeah. or two of them are uh, become free, so. Maybe mm-hmm. we should send them some feedback and then uh, we can yeah. get one of them opened up at least just so people can see. Because, yeah, Sam is, I'm a big Sam fan for sure. He's a huge, yeah, I mean, he, we saw him, I saw him, atten- attended a, a talk by him last year at 360i. They have like a, a workshop on um, auto layout and stack views and uh, it was quite entertaining. He's a very, very funny guy. Yeah, so he's got one here on uh, Notification Center. That was the one I was watching on the new, the changes in uh, UN Notification Center as opposed to sticking things in the app delegate, stuff like that. That's my pick. Great. All right. Can't evaluate. <laughs> no, I know, unfortunately. Um, hmm. So that's it for the week, I guess. And that's it for the 100th episode. So Aaron, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Go to Twitter at Aaron Vey. And Jaime, how do people get a hold of you? Also on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. And Mr. Hio, Dr. Uh, Hio, sorry, Dr. Hio. Yeah, you can email me, GregH at GregHio.com. Alrighty, and I'm Timitra on Twitter, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, and that's about it for the week. So we'll see you guys next week. All right, bye-bye. Bye. See you later. Bye. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press that recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. 
Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. Look at you guys, 100 episodes in the can. Yep. Make it look easy, really. Just sit around, chat. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, it took two years to get here. Like you said, almost one a week. It's like two years already. I can't believe it. Yeah, we, we started, I think, August 8th, I think was the first episode we recorded. Of 2015? 14. 14. 14. 14. 14. 14. Yeah. 14. It would have been 14. 14. Wow. Yeah, 14. Long time ago. Hooray for us. Gigabytes of uh, stuff on the website in terms of audio streams here. Good lord! It's yeah, we, we crossed a uh, hundred thousand downloads a couple episodes back, I think. Right? Uh, yes, we just certainly did. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. We started on the seventh of August. Was podcast number one of fourteen? Of, okay. Yeah, fourteen oh eight oh seven. All right, good. Ready for us? Cool. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, we hit a hundred and. Uh, 100,000 downloads or listens or whatever you want to call it. So that's every, like, if you count every episode download in the history of the podcast. No, no, we only, started count, we only started counting in October of that year or November of that year. Okay, so, so it's minus, like, 10 episodes or so. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, but mind you, I can, uh, people, I like, like, like you said, when you first started listening, you went back and listened to episode one and worked your fate way forward. People still go back and listen to that, that sad, sad episode. <laughs> <laughs> sorry for them everybody what has the, 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 the weird pilot you know like spock was smiling like a dummy in the uh, the pilot of star trek so <laughs> that pilot so was the worst i should go back and listen to episode one aaron will be like friendly and mark will be talking a lot you and it'll... bastard <laughs> <laughs> screw you Hio. <laughs> i do kind of want to go back and listen maybe i maybe i will i'll queue it up for my commute tomorrow okay so yeah since <laughs> since october we've had 101 people listen to episode one so, since wow sorry since, since october, october of 2014 2014 yeah. okay got 101 it. people wow yeah, yeah. Wow. look yeah. at the show notes four links in the show notes unbelievable <laughs> you did I, have the music about, though our... and it was an hour long 53 minutes so yeah one yeah. of our fans of the show recommended that i that i convert the um and convert them into links that people can click on in Overcast. I don't. I don't know if you can do that. Yeah, in the podcast uh, app, you can click on the links as well. Yeah, that's right. Bye-bye. I think I actually did go in and edit the uh, audio in the first episode. So. Oh really? So I, it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's, okay. it's not. It's not in its original state. I probably have the original here somewhere, but. Yeah. So it is like Star Wars. You're like Lucas going back and re redoing stuff. Only because it was painful to listen to. Like, it was so badly recorded. Like, we we recorded... I mean, I was using earbuds. Mark was using earbuds. I think Aaron and, Aaron and Jaime were the only ones that had uh, Yeti microphones at that point. Yeah, I'm going to queue it up. I'm going to scroll all the way down feed. Oh, wow. Wait, Aaron doesn't do... Is. Too bad he left. Uh, he doesn't do Big Fruit Mag anymore. Oh, he doesn't even own the server anymore, it looks like. Really? Oh. Yeah. Broken links in the show notes? Yeah, big fruit mag. Remember, he he was doing that. That's yeah, right. I, I do yeah. remember that, uh, like weekly or biweekly newsletter. How did you get all the way back to episode one? Uh, I noticed that it was page based when I went to older, and I said, "Hmm, let me try ten. Well, that's not enough. Let me try eleven. Oh, there really? you go. Oh, okay. Okay. I yeah. searched for episode one and got 
crappy results. So I searched for episode zero one, and it was on the second page. But um, yeah. So what's no the one, oldest page there, Jaime? No one goes back. Page into the page eleven shows uh, episode one through four. So, yeah, you did sure. replace it because when I download it here in my podcast app, the description says better audio. <laughs> Welcome to the show. It is August 6th, and this is our first show. Today will be a discussion, blah, blah, blah. But then there are no show notes. Like, whatever's on the website, it doesn't match what I have here in the app. Yeah, because I haven't haven't updated the the stream. I actually did. I think I did go back in in Feeder. Feeder's the app that uh, Saul uh, recommended I I use. Well, I've downloaded it, so it's all queued up. Greg, which which episode did you say was your first one? 29, I think is the magic number. 29, okay. I know, because... Back in the day, I was like, oh my god, I was on a podcast. This is so exciting. So I linked to it on my own website. So like, oh, 29 look, was I'm the first the episode you were on? Yeah, 29. 29, yeah, 34, funny 39. I, I, let me see how many. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I don't know if I've listed them all. 6, 7, 8, Yeah, nine. and I think at the uh, I think at the, at the end of it, in the after, beginning of the after show, you go, oh, that was my first pe- podcast ever. Yeah. I think oh, I've look been at on that. You, you even get a call out on the title. With professional watch speculation with Greg Heo. I think that's pretty good. I should Google myself. I haven't done that in a while. And I think that episode comes up because, yeah, my name is in the, is in the page title as well. So I think your name up. your name's also in the author uh, attribution on um in the, like when when I when I publish or when I put down who the author is I put whoever's on the show right as the authors. Oh no! So I take it back. Be- my roundabout episode is there. My iOS episode is there, but no, my MTJC. This is oh, in, in the Google. The it's in- yeah, it's in the Google. Although it's podbay.fm. I don't know who that is, but so. But if you go to if you go to iTunes on your Mac there and go to uh, the podcast. Actually, just go to iTunes and type Greg Heo in the in the search lozenge there. <laughs> any <laughs> any never books done you that love before. Should, no, try that. No, where do I? Uh, Aaron, Aaron Aaron actually has a book published and he shows up there. Where do I go? I have to go to the store, right? No, no just just open iTunes. Just open yeah. iTunes. Don't even don't even like switch away from music and just type in Greg Heo. Really? Won't that just search my library though? Search for Greg Heo in iTunes Store. So I assume I should do that, right? Well, that's, um, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you have to click on the store, I guess. Just on the regular regular iTunes store, so you see... Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. Know, I'm, in, I'm in the iTunes app. Okay, here we Kanye, go. Oh, yeah, wow. There's my... Yes, it's nine episodes of MTJC and one episode of the uh, Ray Wenderlich podcast shows up here. And wow, it's got the iFreaks because I was on there and it's got Roundabout here because I was on there once. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And you... Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. Is that you were just... Uh, the most popular one is... Uh, no longer spinning rust. Well, that was the most recent. I assume that's why it's it's up there, right? Hmm. Could be. <laughs> Do we need to? Uh, it looks like we need to make an iPhone app called MTJC too, as well. Yeah, that'll help your. Just that'll help your back SEO. Our, plays back our our episodes. We could do an audio book, just have it be, oh, we could do this, we could do this for the 104th uh, episode, because that'll be the, the, the full two years where it's just like a clip show. Like, we don't even talk about anything new. It's just random clippings from everything we've you said you should do that i did want to make a youtube super clip of aaron saying sick burn or something like that <laughs> I, was gonna, I was gonna crawl through all that's why i was thinking i wonder if i can run sick these burn. all through the speech recognition then i could just do find and replace and find tim saying giver or something like that a hundred times yeah. and make a yeah. little clip of that so i was that, sure. that was on my list but it's a lot of work to listen to all that audio but um it's on the list so hmm. look for that yeah oh man that reminds me um 
I, I need to start using my catchphrases a little bit more, or maybe I should write them all down and make sure I check them off during things I... <laughs> well, you usually say driving with people for those of you driving. <laughs> See, yes, and I forgot to say it for like one episode, and then I think uh, I think Adam Armstrong might have been somebody who reached out to me. Somebody reached out to me. Oh, uh, really? On the web, I was like, hey, you know, you know jokingly and, and fun, like, hey, you didn't, you didn't say it this time. It's like, oh, man, I didn't. <laughs>